Hey everyone, Brian W. Foster here. Thank you so much for listening to our show. A reminder, you can watch Between the Sheets live on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash critical role. If you become a subscriber to our Twitch channel, you get instant access to our VODs, emotes, so much more. Also, episodes of Between the Sheets are available on our YouTube channel on Wednesdays. Just go to youtube.com slash critical role, Check those out and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All the latest news about our shows, events, everything else is available at critroll.com. On today's episode, I sit down with Travis Willingham for an in-depth conversation about growing up with an excess of energy, his connection to sports and theater, how he coped with the loss of his father and becoming one himself. All that and more on this episode of Between the Sheets. Enjoy. Travis, thank you for joining me. What are we drinking today? The OG. Old fashioned? That's right. Cheers, man. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> yeah. No muddled fruit in this biatch. Mm-mm. That's the secret. Yep. Ooh, that's good. <sighs> so you are a Texas boy. I am. Born where? Dallas, Dallas County, Dallas, Texas. So what was home life like for you? You have a brother? Uh, yeah, my brother uh, is uh, 33. He lives in Dallas still as well. You guys have the same exact voice. Yeah. When he's around yeah. and I hear him across the house or if we're at a restaurant or whatever, God. I can't, I cannot tell the difference between you two. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I often wonder if I sound that dumb sometimes. <laughs> when I hear him talk, <laughs> or as smart as that me? Because I hear him laugh, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a big dumb idiot laughing," and then I'm like, "Oh, that sounds <laughs> that's probably like how I laugh." <laughs> Have you ever been so busy that you had to turn down voiceover jobs, and you were like, <laughs> "Here's my film. do you want to come in?" Because Tom Hanks does that. His brother yeah. does all of the Woody animate like the uh, commercials. And Tom stuff. Hanks's brother does. Yes. His brother no. voice matches him perfectly. I should have thought about that. I tried to get Carson into like acting right when I was leaving high school because I thought he was such a handsome little bugger. Um, but he just can't take pictures or, or, or act lines to save his life. I don't think he would read script uh, very well yeah. <laughs> either. You end up getting into theater and acting around what age? I think the first time I realized that there was such a thing as like drama was like fifth grade. Hmm. Um, I was super uh, overactive, uh, hyperactive, ADD, all that stuff when I was a kid. Um, and I loved cartoons so much, but I always say that I, I never really, I, I never understood as a kid that there was an actual adult behind like my favorite voices in Thundercats or G.I. Joe or um, Silverhawks or any of that stuff. I just assumed those were real things and real people and didn't know that was a job. Mm. Um, my, my early years were in public school and then we tried a little private school stuff just because I was such a, like, a pain in the ass kid. And Laura was always like, we're going to be cursed if you know, our kids are anything <laughs> it like you. Turns out the same way. Yeah, and uh, I had an English teacher in the fifth grade uh, at St. John's Episcopal School um, uh, who 
encourage like creative writing um, and some like re like dramatic readings in front of the class. And uh, I volunteered one day with a couple of girls that wanted to do it. Like all the boys didn't want to yeah. you know, have anything to do with it. And I fucking loved it. Like I loved it. Um, just like that make-believe part of it. Did you feel like it harnessed some of that energy that was just kind of going all over the place? Yeah, because I, I hated school. Like, I, I was terrible at math. I was okay at history, science. I was just garbage. And I mean, like, when I say I hated math, I would, like, fall asleep in math. Yeah. Like, teachers were like, I think he has, what's the what's the disease? Chronic fatigue syndrome. That one. Yeah. Yep. yep. Or mono. They thought I had mono, mono like, yeah. all the time. Yeah, I'd yeah, just yeah. be like, <clears throat> Right. Um, but it, it would just wake up a part something inside of me that, that you know, I hadn't really ever explored before. And I remember her so well. Her name was Trigger. That was what we called her, Trigger Butler. Huh. Um, and she would, like, have us draw little, like, makeup comics and make up, like, you know, dramatic readings and stuff like that. And, and doing that, she really saw just, you know, sort of the change in me and, like, the, the interest. And, you know, I think for any good teacher, if you're paying attention, you know, when that sort of stuff hits it, they try to feed it, right, nurture yeah. it. And there wasn't really a lot at the school for that. There was no drama program or anything, but I think that was in fifth grade and then into sixth grade, there was more of that. And she said, you know, if you want to explore more of this, there are other middle schools. You don't have to stay in the school system. There are other middle schools that have more fine arts programs. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, there's like drama and musicals and one acts, and that all sounded terrifying, right? But she was sort of the person that pushed me back out of the private school system and back into public school where those things were more... Um, prominent and I remember leaving sixth grade and going with her to a play at like the local middle school that was being put on which you know it's like a shit production yeah it's middle of course. school yeah I thought it was a, like the fucking greatest thing I'd ever really seen. like and you wanted to do you're like I want to do this like and yeah just enraptured and I'm like you know like crap made up choir teacher written songs yeah, synthesizer yeah, yeah. stuff but like and the kids were like doing the box step yeah you know and yeah. shit and like I was, I, I was in love. Like, I was just like, this is fucking amazing. Everybody, yeah. I look around, everybody's enraptured, you know? Um, and I was like, I want to I wanna do this. And my mom's like, you want to you wanna do that? And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And she was like, okay. You know, my dad's like, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Did Go. they want you to follow any specific path, or were they pretty open to whatever would work at that point? I think, I mean, I think at that point, when your kid actually, like, declares that they're interested or passionate about something you're like oh thank god they have an interest finally, yeah something can, yeah. right let's see yeah. if we can feed it and we'll just see what comes out of it yeah um i think my dad was a little bit like oh god <laughs> you know yeah. we're, going, we're going into acting but i think my mom just recognized that i all the all the energy that i had as a kid and you know trying to give me different outlets whether it was you know sports or art classes or i mean you know from from the second i would get out of school every day she had me in like every extracurricular program you could think of, just like back to back, like wow. a sport, and then, you know, maybe like pottery class over here, and then like maybe another sport, just to like run the energy yeah. out of me so I would sleep just to at keep night. it going. Yeah, so she was really <clears throat> glad just to see that be, you know, uh, a focus and kind of like a, if you don't do your schoolwork, you can't be in the yeah in the show thing. So I think they were encouraged by that, but I think it, at that time they didn't know that it was going to be something that would, you know be the thing that I pursued for like the rest of my for the rest of your life yeah. really yeah I mean I think about the times when I didn't have stuff to do and Jesus you know it was like melting Ninja Turtles in the alley behind <laughs> some kid's house with like motor oil and styrofoam trying, yeah. to, trying to concoct napalm like yep 
keep your kids busy. Holy yeah. hell. I hate to break it to you, but those weren't Ninja Turtles. <laughs> those were just regular turtles you melted. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Peter's oh, coming after us. Yep. Uh, so then did you leave that Episcopal school to go I did. to a school that to a school that had actual drama programs? Yep, yep. I left in the sixth grade. I went to Jail Long Middle School in Dallas, which was right next door to the high school I ended up going to, which was Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Um, and Woodrow, the high school, was always known for its like very well-regarded fine arts program. Really, really? lauded, yeah, like one-act plays and these really expensive musical productions. And I hadn't seen any, any of that yet. I had just seen the the middle school stuff and you know kids were bigger and they were older and um it was <clears throat> hopping back into like a crowd of kids that i had known from elementary school but i had been gone for two years so it was sort of like a reintroduction of that whole thing and then you know a, it's so funny laura uh had i guess a high school experience where which i guess is pretty typical where like the choir and the musical programs are kind of like the nerdy yeah, yeah, side yeah. of the school she hates it, but at my school, the cool kids were in choir and musical. Yeah. Like that's where the it crowd was. Yeah. Like if you wanted to hang out with like the coolest, it was in the fucking show choir. That's weird. That is a little different than most schools. I, I yeah. know. I know. Yeah. Did but you sing too then? I did. Yeah. I did. I did. Um, I kind of always sang as a kid, just because my mom. We all grew up in church, and so like you know she'd You're be there singing stuff, belting her ass off, and. Um, I could sing pretty well and then, you know, sure enough, like sheet music, I had to learn, you know, how to sight read and stuff like that and don't, you know, the do, re, mi, mm -hmm, fa, so, mm -hmm. la, di, stuff. Mm -hmm. um, never, didn't really retain it, didn't take to that side of it, like the technical aspects of yeah. music, but I just loved like the performing and the energy and stuff like that. Did the musicals there, did a little bit of sports still. Um, I had kind of fallen away from like sports, I guess, in that private school year yeah. time, just because we were trying to figure out what the or you know what what it was that I was inspired by or to do and you know halfway through middle school I kind of hit that crazy growth spurt where I grew like you know six inches in the summer and all of a sudden it changed you know a bunch of stuff what age were you in then when you started to get into sports stuff was it was it kind of 50 50 of sports and artistic stuff or was one more dominant than the other yeah it was it was weird because I I was always a slightly taller, but in weird proportions on my body. Like I was an automatic, <laughs> we're just gonna go back to the beginning. I was an automatic C-section because my dome was too large. Yeah. Right? It was just one of those things like, ma'am, your sunset is too large. I've seen but, pictures, it's the size it is now. Yeah, it's like a balloon on a string. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I was little, I'd have like a larger upper torso, long arms, but I could like tickle the bottom of my knee. Like my legs weren't super long. So yeah. It was just kind of gangly and weird. Having all the energy that I had, I tried every sport possible. My dad was massive into sports, right? Football, baseball, bat. He loved basketball. Did he um, play anything or he just, he loved watching him and following the sports? Yeah, no, I mean, he didn't play anything professionally, but in high school, he. You know, he would always tell me stories about how, you know, in high school, sports changed his life, mm -hmm. his life. Like the, the relationships that he formed and the experiences that he had were things that he was going to remember forever, even when I was tiny, right? So, you know, his baseball team, you know, he knew all the way through high school and afterward. His, his football group, he still kept in touch with till this day. You know, the, the basketball stars that he followed were things that I would love. And um, I loved football but i wasn't really all that partial to like basketball or, or baseball yeah um and there were there were parts of him that i could see that kind of disappointed disappointed a yeah. yeah a little bit um but so being being like this kind of lanky kid 
one of the, the stories I like to tell, and I'll probably tell my son a lot, is in youth football. You know, there are all these like youth football helmets, and mm-hmm. then this one adult small, <laughs> and then a bunch <laughs> of other youth football helmets. It's just this yeah. domed kid. And I was good when I was younger. I was, you know, fast and everything, and I was just a little bit taller, and then everybody kind of evened out. And so I just kind of moved away from sports a little bit and tried more artsy stuff. And then when that growth spurt kicked back in, like in middle school, um, you know, teachers and coaches are like, hey, who's the tall kid? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's that, that's that Travis kid that you hate so much that never shuts up and makes weird noises. And it's like, blah, 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 and <laughs> yeah. all the classes. And the like, get him, in the, get him in the uniform. Let's try him out for stuff. So it was like a re-indoctrination back into, into sports a little bit. So you did high school football. I did, but only um, the last two years of high school. Mm. Um, I... It was so funny, even though I was growing taller, I was still like the nerdy um, kid that liked comic books and video games and didn't really like contact sports. Um, you know, I, like like a lot of other kids, I, I was bullied like a ton in elementary school and middle school. Yeah. So when I hit the growth spurt and I came back and some of the kids that were like real true dicks that were all of a sudden like down here, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of comeuppance for that. Yeah. Um, just you know, socially and at school, but I, I never felt the desire to go around and like shove people or like hit people. Yeah. You know, I was always, it was always more important to me that like, cause you could see, you could see the difference between like previous to this, cause it all happened over a summer, right? So when I left school and I'd just be looking at eye level with somebody and then I came back and I saw them at school and they were looking up at me slightly, right? There was just a different like body language and it always like bothered me. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I just wanted them to know that I was still Normal, they weren't gonna see me all of a sudden showing up and like, you know, shoving them and going like, hey, what's up? Yeah, you th- throughout the time that I've known you, you've been sensitive to, you know, jokes or conversation about uh, being put into that jock, bully stereotype because yeah. you did grow up a nerd. Yeah. And were you the one of the only real nerds that was doing, you know, sports and into stuff like that, but also mixing with theater and musical stuff? Yeah, it was, you know, and being in Texas, like all my coaches would call me like Thez for Thesbian and, you know, choir boy and all that stuff. And, and nerd is relative to Texas because, and I tell Taliesin this, I remember being in a typing class and seeing a Vampire the Masquerade book, big ass book. And leaning over to this kind of gothy kid that I hadn't really said much to, and I was like, "What is that?" And he was like, "Oh, it's it's vampire." I was like, "I like vampires. What's a vampire?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a role-playing game." I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> he was like, "What's that?" We meet at the park at like four o'clock after school, and we pretend to be vampires. <laughs> I was like, "I don't, I don't, I don't understand." Can't you guys not walk around in daylight? Yeah. And he goes, "Well, do you want to look at the book?" And of course, you know, like. You open the player's handbook in D&D and you're like, nope. Yeah, you yeah, Because yeah. it's just so big. Yeah, and intimidating. And that was the only time I saw it. But So I wasn't like a hard, hardcore nerd, but I, yeah, you know, but you were comic, into comic books and video and, games. Yeah. And anybody that likes musicals, you know, that's pretty, it's pretty nerdy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, there were so many people that didn't, um, I, they didn't have the ambassador on the sports side of things, right? So like when people from the lacrosse team or the football team would be shitty to those people, it was really easy for me to be like, stop, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that was that was always something I was really like proud of. So you ended up using your size and sort of the changes that have happened to you to kind of create a shield between people that between, you know, people like that and people that could have ended up getting bullied. Yeah, that was that was kind of the hope, right? And more of it it was more just like I would be in the locker room and people would be talking about so and so kid did this in the hallway or in this class that I wasn't there with and I'd just try and pop in and be like, No, that guy's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like he plays the same 
you know, Nintendo 64 game at the time or Super NES or, you know, whatever that you play and, you know, he's good at it and stuff like that. And they were like, word? Like, yeah. yeah. You know, so it was just trying to, like, bridge the gaps between, like, I didn't understand why everybody couldn't be... Because I would be in, in both sides of it, and both sides would be welcoming, and they'd deride, you know, the choir people would be like, yeah, football practice. Right, right. Football guys would be like, you gotta go act and put on your tights and yeah. whatever. And I was like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> you know? But it is weird that we create those separations in, in our, the time of our lives that we're in high school and stuff socially to, because I think a lot of people are figuring themselves out so much still mm -hmm. that they only really have bandwidth to align themselves with one group of people. And it's like, like tribal thing, right? Exactly, yeah. it's sort of tribal. And you were able to kind of live in both worlds. and Yeah, because I was, I was forced out of one end to the other and I saw how kind of pointless it was. You know, yeah. it's, there's just no, plus those people, you know, hindsight, you know, in your 30s, you can see that, you know, the people that were in some tribe that you may never saw, you know, when you're in high school or even college, are people that you're working alongside with every day, you know, yeah. when you're an adult. And so I think it's just important for people to, you know, explore and push and yeah. pay attention to that shit. What's hmm. one of your favorite theater productions that you were a part of? <laughs> so my sophomore year um, was the first time that I was ever cast in a, in a part that was on the high school stage. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, like I said, I was transfixed with the musical production in middle school, but when I went to high school, they had this big proscenium arts theater that was built in 1918, I think. So they had all wooden chairs, high balcony, these floor to ceiling, you know, industrial, almost factory windows with these long red drapes, and it was, it, it still wow. is one of the most gorgeous theaters I've ever been in, in this high school. Yeah. Um, and actually being on that stage and seeing all those people was something I'll, I'll never forget, but my sophomore year was a musical called Crazy For You, and I remember I was cast along with like all the seniors, and I had to play a part a that one of the other yeah, <laughs> senior lead had to like mimic, and I had like this this Russian accent, which was this crazy deal, you know, and it was just like you sound like Sofia Vergara. <laughs> <laughs> do you think I look just as pretty as she does? I bet you I do. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so that I just remember Crazy for You stuck out in my mind. Um, and I was like, man, I don't even. What is this? And they're like, oh, it's Gershwin, you know, or Hammerstein, you know. And you, that's when you started to learn about <clears throat> older musicals. And um, that one was just, uh, I just remember being so taken with all of the older classmen, right? And wanting to do what they did and learn what they knew. And, uh, and, and it just, uh, it was one of the coolest parts of, I think, the whole fine arts department at, at yeah. Woodrow at the time. Yeah. Was fitting in important to you at all? I mean, it sounds like you really carved a path for yourself because part of it was survival. Part of it was I, I, I follow these interests because I need to. It's healthy for me. Yeah. And part of it was I follow this because I'm interested in it. I mean, it, y yes, right? I think it would be cooler to say like, nah, I didn't care about fitting in. But yeah, like the the truth is is that I was terrified in high school. You know, I was I was scared fucking shitless, and I was six two, six three. You know, at the yeah. time. Um, you know, nearing 200 pounds and. <clears throat> even then you become the the unintended center of attention for certain things that didn't happen before you might have been bullied before for being shorter but Jesus it's a whole different thing when you're the big guy yeah right because then you find people that want to find the big guy and like start some shit mm -hmm. and maybe prove something when you haven't done anything um, and I grew up in a high school that was like very mixed race I think like you know white students made up like 11% of the population so I learned wow. very early just like how to mingle right yeah. Um, and we had some serious like 
we had some gang activity going on in East Dallas at the time. Yeah. And I knew a lot of guys that were in some shit. I think there were a lot of like jocks and other people that were like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make anybody laugh. Fuck that. Yeah. Like, I'll make you laugh if it spares me anything any, yeah. at any point, right? It's yeah. the easiest thing to give. Like yeah. laughter just connects everybody. And it's such a tension diffuser. Mm -hmm. That was one of the, the earliest things that I learned there. How old were you when you lost your dad? Right, I was 14, a mm. uh, freshman in high school when my dad passed from cancer. Uh, I think we found out uh, when I was in seventh grade that dad was like sick, right? He got, uh, he had like tennis elbow. So he went in and got it checked out and you know, like sat us around the breakfast table when you're like, you know, 12 and I think my brother was nine. You're like, dad's sick, we're gonna do some treatment and stuff like that. Um, but we didn't really think much of it, you know, yeah. and then they come back and, you know, a couple months later and be like, Dad, we're going to try this other thing. And so Dad's going to shave his head, you know, and try some chemo and stuff like that. Um, Did you gather at that point the weight of what was going on or was no, it still no, kept like, from you? Sort of? It was so slow, you know, yeah. or, because, you know, there's no fucking Internet. Yeah. You know, so cancer, you would you would say it to another kid or maybe like to a teacher or like a Sunday school teacher and you would see their face do something if they knew what it was. Mm. And you're like, oh, is that bad? Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but it was it was such a slow process of seeing like, oh, his hair is gonna go, oh, he's losing some weight, stuff like that. And then, you know, we were like, it's taking years, and, you know, surely we'll, you know, we'll work something out. Um, and then in my freshman year, 1995, um, he finally uh, passed when I was a freshman. Yeah. How did that change things at home? Oh man, I mean. Going into freshman year of high school alone, as we've talked about with all the stuff going on, has its own challenges and its own fears and all that stuff, but then you sort of lose the anchor, one of the anchors in your family and. The, like the anchor, the anchor right? Yeah. And I mean, my mom is the anchor of that family because she's shown us what like bravery and courage really is, especially yeah. with everything that's going on. But the single most pivotal moment of my life was watching my dad go through that and then pass because you know, I often say that like, if you have a kid that's like uh, hyperactive or has ADD, I think a lot of that is just taken care of with puberty when your body goes through yeah. you know, natural change. Yeah. Um, but I was also, I was a big slapdick. Like I, you know, I was a kid that loved comics and goofed around and kind of broke the rules and would push boundaries and not really think about consequences or have any, exercise any foresight. Um, and you know, my parents would always be like, why did you do that thing? And I would be like, I don't know. And my dad would be like, that's not an answer. You, you had to have a thought in your brain. What were you <laughs> yeah, thinking? Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't thinking anything. I was just doing. And he was yeah. like, you got to think ahead. And I would always remember him saying that. Um, and so when that happened, it made life very real. Mm. You know, it was, it was, it took it out of the context of like, you know, the comic books or movies and watching things die and people be sad, but you didn't really have, you know, connection or, to yeah, it. you didn't have yeah. anything that made it real. Yeah. Um, and watching how that affected, you know, my mom and my brother and, and just what it did to, to my world just changed everything in an instant. You know, I would say in the course of a month, I just became a, a different person. Um, did you feel like you had to grow up a lot faster because, you know, it was just yeah. you, you two boys and your mom there? Yeah, I think I think anybody that loses a parent at that age, you, you have to, right? Especially if you're an older sibling. Yeah, I was, um, was going to say, you'd yeah. pretty much take care of Carson after that and look out for him. Yeah, you know, and it, it's so tough when you're a kid that's still trying to figure it out because 
you know, I remember thinking things like, um, you know, I wish my dad would see me in these shows. I feel like I'm really good, and he never did. He was he was even you know sick when I was in middle school, so he never made any of those. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I got really big, and I was like, man, I want him to come see me playing these football games. I'm destroying guys, and he never made those, and so that was tough. But I was trying to figure out myself so much that I. You know, I often have a lot of regrets about not doing more for my younger brother, right, and not shepherding him through that because I was so focused on me. And you were so young too. So young. Yeah, there's not there's not a ton you you even had the emotional bandwidth yeah. to be able to be there for because yeah. you guys were both so young when it happened. Really. Yeah, and then you you learn so much about the human experience and what it's like to be a parent and what it's like to have you know a soulmate and have you know, see your mom go from, you know, holding out hope to like, what is, what's today like, you know? Yeah. And it was weird, you know, finally, after the, like the funeral was over and stuff, going back to school and then thinking like, what's my mom doing? Like at home, mm. like right now, all by herself. Yeah. So it was, it was really, uh, it was really tough and it forced you to let go of like petty shit and really forced me to get my shit together. Yeah. Right? Because you could see that she was you know, trying to keep everything together. And I realized at that point that the best thing I could do for her was to make myself not be a burden, right? wow. not be a problem. Wow. You know, if I could take care of myself, that was the best thing that I could do. That's a mature thought for <clears throat> somebody at that age, but ultimately it's what was best for your family. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I, there was a part of me that wanted to. Um, you know, I don't know if that always happens in everybody, but the that realization i was like that's that's what i want to do right mm -hmm. if there's anything i can do to help her now and all it is is just making sure that i'm not a problem yeah that's yeah. what i want to do you know do you feel like a lot of the connection that you had to sports growing up and still do to this day um is because it is one of those things that you and your dad shared and that was so important to him and yeah you definitely want to carry that on yeah know, in your life definitely definitely i you know, I I love football. I love I love my Dallas Cowboys. Our Dallas Cowboys. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and part of that is like you know, especially now people are like, how can you like football? You know, it's so barbaric, and there's this whole concussion protocol and CTE, and right. you know, the game is more dangerous than it's ever been. There's also the argument it's the safest it's ever been, and that's all true, and it, it, all of it is true, and there's a place for all of it, but there's also like this tradition, mm. right? And there are memories that are formed sort of in the colors of the uniform and just the, the experiences that you had with your family members. I, I always remember hustling home from church on Sundays, right, Central Standard Time, and yep. trying to get home for the Cowboys game. And if we were lucky, we like shoveled in our food while my mom is yelling like, chew your food, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we're just like mouthfuls of yeah. it. And then sitting there for the Cowboys game and more watching my dad watching the game as he like cursed and yelled at the TV <laughs> and trying to figure out what he was pissed about, but being like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, with him, you know? Yeah. And if we were lucky, we would have like a, you know, like a root beer float or something yeah. like that. And that is ingrained like in my mind. And we were so, we were great in the 90s and then shit after that. And it's funny how you want to see your team do well. Mm -hmm almost for like the memory of that person, yeah. right? To see them so passionate about a team, like when they start sucking or when things start going poorly, you feel like this weight. Yeah. Or when they're really close to an achievement and they fall short. I was surprised last year, yeah. you know, or two years ago actually, um, I think you were over for the, the playoff game. Yeah, I was, yeah. With, with Dak and the, and the, the Packers. 
I started to like tear up uh -huh. at the end of the game. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know, this is totally a surprise to me. It was the closest we had been in a while. That's right. And it, I could tell it was bringing up a lot of stuff for you because it is such an important part of your life. Yeah, it was for it, childhood too. it surprised me, you know? I was like, I want it for, I mean, I want it for me, but I want it for like, like the memory of my dad yeah. and like my brother and myself and to like share that and to have something that's like good. Yeah. You know, and so for me, the Cowboys will always be that you know it's you even if they're just garbage you know yeah. you're like constantly hoping that they'll that they'll that they'll do more and i am looking forward to making sure that my son has plenty of cowboys paraphernalia just oh, to yeah. just to choose from just to choose from because while we are in la mm -hmm. and there is a team here i don't know what you're talking about i know i know what was the biggest lesson or maybe just the lesson that ended up sticking with you most to this day that you learned from your dad either by watching him or something that he, you know, actually taught you or wanted to pass on to you? That is, that's a, that's such a good question. You know, to me, my dad was like larger than life. Mm -hmm. Just such a character. He, he was somebody that would go into a room and tell a story and he would have grown men in tears because he had them laughing and they'd be red in the face and, you know, these big belly chuckles. And he would always come home from these, um, like sales and marketing trips and talk about how he had just like owned some presentation, right? He had gone into like a, he worked with like the Salvation Army for a while and so he would go into, you know, these military meetings and they all looked like they were bored and tired of being there and he walked in and he, I remember him standing in the living room and he would be like, I walked in and went, Ten hut! <laughs> and like everybody like shot up and he's like, all right, listen up now! You know, and he, he yeah. was in the military for like a hot second. But yeah just the like the charismatic energy that he had and the way that it would affect people i always saw that that was something that maybe i could do and that the energy that i had as a kid could be channeled through maybe more of like a gregarious per mm. personality right that yeah. if you could entertain people and make them laugh that you could really connect with them faster right and that was always something that i wanted to I don't know, I, I hope, you know, take from him or yeah. be able to like carry him in yeah. instead. Yeah, there wasn't any particular lesson. There, there were all, there were a ton of, you know, work hard, take care of your mom, you know, no one comes before your brother, things like that. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, family, bond, blood, all that stuff. But just who he was and how he affected the people around him, that's how I wanted to make people feel that were wow. in my life. Yeah. yeah, and you do. You definitely do, Thanks. I can say that. Thanks. So you go to TCU, did you continue both acting and sports? I tried, Yeah. I tried. Um, the, the football was cool and I got like some scholarships and stuff, but I was a better swimmer. Um, I was like a 50 free, 100 free medley uh, uh, freestyle swimmer, decent at butterfly as well. Yeah. Um, and so I got some offers for football. I, I got like a real crappy offer to go to, to TCU. Um, for swimming, but I showed up and man, they swim three times a day and I wanted to do acting. And so the theater scholarship that I took didn't leave a lot of time for sports. Oh yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna give this theater thing a shot. Um, and so that was when I kind of transitioned from sports and like team sports into just like weightlifting, right? Yeah. Just going into a weight room and trying to figure out what the hell you did in there for <laughs> an hour. You know, you see people wandering around and they're like, looking at themselves in the mirror and their sleeves are cut off and you're like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. I don't know what these fucking machines do. Like, does my head go there? Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. Like, you, know, you don't want to ask like the guy and go like, hey bro, like, 
the fuck does that one yeah. do? You know? <laughs> I have a hard time picturing you walking into a gym and not knowing what to do with the equipment in there. Just like everybody like else. never a time where that would nope, be Nope, just like everybody else. <laughs> I would walk in and look like real confident, right? A bunch mm-hmm. of gum in my mouth. And yep. like it, maybe if you were lucky, the machine didn't have the faded instruction panel yeah, on the side, yeah, where it like told jump. you which yeah. muscle group it activated. Yeah. Um, but it was that was it for like for sports for a while, and it was just uh, it was just theater after that, just, just theater. straight up theater and a little musical theater. Yeah. So then after college, when do you get into voiceover? When did that come into your life? Right. Um, so in college, uh, while I was in my <laughs> fraternity as long as I was in it. Once you're in the fraternity, it's like, you know, a bunch of guys walking around the hallways drinking white Russians and not going to class. And I was like, oh, I don't have time for that. You're like, I don't you have know? enough polo shirts to be in this fraternity. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there are a bunch of kids that can do like six year college runs, but I was like, I'm trying to get out of here before my scholarship runs out. Yeah. Um, and while I was in my fraternity, the the guys that I would hang with and guys that were on, that I knew from the football team, I tried to walk on and it didn't last very long. Um, they loved Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah. Right, and it was this show, didn't know it was anime at the time, that came on Adult Swim, like 4.30 in the afternoons, and it had these fucking like ripped, muscly guys with spiky hair, and every time they would get angry, they would power up, and they would, you know, their muscles would grow bigger, and the veins would pop, and they'd blow up planets and shit. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, why isn't this real? And so we just, we were watching, we didn't know anything about it, and then we found out that it was anime, and that it was done by a company in Dallas-Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, Jesus, that's where we are. And one day in the chapter room, as the credits were going up, I saw uh, the name Laura Bailey. And Laura Bailey was a girl that was at my talent agency in Dallas at the time. I had signed up with after I left high school, and I had seen her at, you know, some gigs where we were extras and at auditions and stuff, and had like, you know, nice small talk, and. I saw her name and I was like, oh my, oh my God, she's working on this thing. So I, I called my agent. I was like, uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Horn at the time. I was like, Suzanne, can I, can I have Laura Bailey's number? And she was like, why? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, no, she's, she's on the show, Dragon Ball Z. I, I just want to talk to her about it and figure out how she, see if I can do that. And she was like, okay, I'll, I'll give you her number. Don't be weird. And I'm like, okay. And so she picks up the phone. She was like, hello. And I just like screamed into the phone. I was like, oh, I got her in this favorite show. Oh my God, oh, I get it. Can you put me in the show? And she was like, who is this? <laughs> why are you freaking out? Yeah, why are you freaking out? And she, more, more of it was, she was like, you watch Dragon Ball Z? And I was like, yeah, a lot of people do. I know a lot of people that do. Yeah, and she yeah. goes, oh, weird. Because at that time, it hadn't even really like Taken you know, off. exploded yet. Yeah. And so she was like, oh, it's in, it's in Fort Worth. Um, I don't know if they hold auditions. You know, kind of like the brush off. Yeah. I was like, well, cool. If you hear anything, let me know. And then I would see her at other auditions for commercials and stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, are they, are they doing any? Can you put on a good word? And she was like, yes, I... I told them about you, and I was like, "You did?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I told them. They're, you know, if if they have auditions, they'll call you." I was like, "Oh, amazing!" Two years. Did you think she was serious, or were you yeah. totally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So you were waiting she's, by the phone. She's a great then. actress. Yeah, she's great well, actress. that's true. Um, and nothing, right? Nothing. Uh, and finally, there was um, a director that I did a show with in Fort Worth um, that uh, was like, "Hey, you got a." That was a great show. You have a, a good voice, and I was like, "Oh, thanks, man." And he goes, "You know, we do." Um, voiceover at, at Funimation. I was like, I know. I've been trying to get a job there. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I heard Laura Bailey's been like dropping my name. He was like, I've never fucking heard of you before. <laughs> it's like she has, she hasn't said shit. It's <laughs> just like the sweater unraveled. I called her. I was like, you lied to me. 
Um, and he was like, we're having auditions for this new show called Full Metal Alchemist. And I was yeah. like, uh, not interested. Dragon Ball Z, though, yeah. I'm your guy. Yeah. And he goes, Dragon Ball Z is done. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh I was like, it's still on TV. And he goes, yeah, we record them like, way in advance. Way ahead of time. No idea how that show works. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, come audition for the show. It's cool. I'll, I'll send you the character sides. There's this guy named Roy Mustang. I was like, that's a cool name. And he's like, he's a flame alchemist. I'm like, sounds cool. Don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went in and, and read for it, and I went in, and I remember I was going in, and I kept wanting to like power up, like in the audition, and be like, ah! He's like, "There's no fighting." In yeah, this, this isn't audition street fighter. Scene. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, read. Yeah. And I kept trying to like act, and he was like, "Okay, here's okay. You've never done this before." I'm like, "No." And he goes, "Okay, just talk, just talk. Stop trying to act. I, I can tell you're a great actor. I saw you on the stage. Just read the lines to me, like you were talking to me." Like at nuts after like ten minutes, and yeah. that went okay. I didn't totally fuck it up, and they cast me as this character, Roy Mustang, and that show recording, which I think started in my junior year of college, was the most intensive, like spirit-crushing time ever in voiceover because it was like it was like boot camp. Yeah, you had to learn mic technique and not to travel off the mic and do all this, you know, crazy shit and. And you're you're dubbing, so you're having to like sync match, yeah, yeah, lip flaps, yeah. yeah. Read the line and then like kind of look up and see the mouth doing this. And you know, I always say if you can dub anime, you can do anything else. You yeah, know? It's, it's sort of like how people refer to uh, you know soap operas as like you know boot camp for anime. Yeah, boot so, camp. Um, that's that's how I started in voiceover, and then I did a few sh shows there in in Dallas. Uh, and then my my uh, my cousin Tyler was like, hey man. I'm going to California, you wanna go? And I was like, oh no, God, that sounds so risky and like brave and courageous and Jesus, I don't even know how to make a living as an actor. And he's like, pretty sure California's where you do that. And yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I, I have to get like a career going here. And he's like, in Texas? I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they shoot stuff down here. He's like, nah, come out, man, yeah. come out. I'm like, uh, I don't know. So, you know, I asked my mom about it. She's like, go for six months or something. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, try it. Never came back. You bartended for a little bit when you got here, right? Oh my God. Like all the odd jobs. Yeah. You too though, right? You've done all the like... I've done everything. Yeah. Yeah. A barback bartend, uh -huh. valet, uh -huh. bouncer, catering operative. You know, I, I remember yeah. that there were, you would just find these jobs in between. I remember I had to wear like a pink bow tie and cumberbund and work like baby showers and be like plate passing. I'm like, here's a veggie sushi Do roll. Do you have photos nope. of that? Nope, no. Um, and I came out and it was, uh, I was shit. <laughs> it was expensive out here. Yeah. And I had five roommates in a house in, Nor in Hollywood, right over by the 101 cafe. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and would try and go out for commercials and TV spots and, you know, had dreams of, you know, being a big TV or film star and every audition I got for TV was like for Cop B yeah. or Soldier F. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because of the size, I get it. The thing I would hear often is they're like, man, you're tall. I was like, oh, that's, that's what it is. And one casting director was finally like, you know, the average actor height is like 5'9 to 5'11, you know, maybe six foot. So yeah. if we cast you, that person that could be a lead and all of a sudden looks super short or have to shoot everything on an Apple box and they normally don't want to do that. Yeah. You know? She's like, you would never work with a Tom Cruise or a Chuck Norris. Right, yeah. yeah. Chuck's working a lot these days. Yeah, big time. <laughs> you're like, I'll never the do comeback. a Bullflex commercial? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're telling yeah. me? Damn it. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you know, he had Walker, Texas Ranger, which shot in Dallas. Oh, yeah. And I went and auditioned once and the casting director was like, you can't ever come back. Because you're just so big. She's yeah. like, we're not going to use you. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. 
He would look so small next to you. I know. So then did you do any voiceover auditions and stuff when you got here? Or was it really not in mind because you were kind of trying to focus on doing TV? <clears> yeah, and not, not at all. Yeah. I was like, maybe I'll do some theater. You know, if I'm going to Los Angeles, I'm definitely going to be a movie star. Right. Right. That's like, a given. Th this is where shit happens. I'm here. Let's go ahead and start this thing. Yeah. Everybody can just stop waiting for me. I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'll go to maybe an audition or two. Yeah. And by then I'll be famous. Resume show business. Yeah. I have arrived. <laughs> yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. a problem. Yeah. And uh, man, that just didn't happen at all. And I think I was here for maybe a year and a half or maybe even two years. Um, and I was working with uh, an agency, uh, Imperium 7, Marnie Anhalt, yeah. who we know. Yeah. And she said, you know, hey, you, you've got like a good voice. And I was like, hey, thanks. And she was like, do you want to read for like video game copy? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And she was like, we audition, you know, characters in video games. I was like, right. Yeah. There's acting in video games. Yeah. Right, of course. And I was like, I would love to do that. I mean, uh, and I told her the story about like, you know, cartoons, mm -hmm. never really thinking they were real people. And she goes, we auditioned for those two. And my, I just I had to stop. And I was like, you, you do cartoons here? She's like, where do you think they did them? And I was like, I don't know, not in the United States. Right, uh, right. Maybe Canada, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started auditioning for um, some video game stuff and, 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 and cartoon work and uh, still wasn't, I still, I still wasn't very good. Yeah. You know, I, I had, I was really good at um, dubbing, you know, fitting in designated mm -hmm. flaps. But when it was just free, you know, I didn't have to conform to any kind of space. I was kind of limited. Mm. You know, I, I found myself really, uh, like, n nervous and too cautious to like take chances or do anything unique or just make a bold choice and stick to it. Right. You think that's because you didn't have the experience yet? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, experience and and just nerves. Yeah. Right. Like. I've, I've always had um, a little bit of a self-confidence problem, like whether it was going into high school or college or going into acting, you know, I, I think of all the things that are going against me, whether it's being too tall or uh, having too deep a voice or I saw her facial expression, that definitely has to do with me even though it might not, mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. I just like started second guessing myself and it, it, it took years um, to realize that if you're there for the audition, that time is yours. Right, and in any casting situation, they want you to be the person. They want you mm -hmm. to be amazing, so they can stop casting. Right, right. They want you to be incredible, so make that time yours. And who gives a shit like how it goes? If it sucks, then just let it go because there's going to be another one. And that, that's a that's a hard lesson to learn. And it took it took a long while for that to sink in. When you started, actually getting into doing it regularly, voiceover. Mm -hmm. Did you like that more than the hustle of trying to do the on-camera thing? Was it, because you grew up yeah. enjoying a lot of that stuff and video games and stuff right. so much, did it did it end up sort of fulfilling a different part of you? Yeah, it was, it, it was much in the same way as seeing that musical for the first time in middle school. Like doing voiceover, I was like, oh shit, these are my people, right? Because I wanted to be in TV and film and, and would still like it just because it would be fun to do. Yeah. But it wasn't anything that I was like aspiring or dying to do. You know, I love movies. I love films. I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all these things. But that's just because I'm a, I'm a fan, mm -hmm. right? I love voiceover because you're not confined by any of those other things. And the things that I love about theater, which is you're not confined by 
the way that you look, what your stature is, the color of your skin, what your voice sounds like. You can change all that shit with your voice, makeup, mm -hmm. costuming, right? Yeah. Really use your imagination. You're all sharing in this, you know, inclusive participation of the mind, right? Yeah. And voiceover is the same way. And so when, you know, I would see a picture of like a grizzled 50s scar down his face, bald with a cigar hanging out of his mouth, one eye missing. He's all in like this mech armor holding some big space rifle. I was like, oh, I, I don't think I'm supposed to read for him. He was like, you can't, you can't sound like that guy? I was like, yeah, you oh can. shit, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can try, you know, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, you know something. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that sort of introduction takes time as well because there aren't a lot of people that will pop in and go like, hey man, you know, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you show up and they're like, can you do this? Yeah. Right, so yeah. Um, for a lot of like young actors, a lot of the, the biggest advice I give is like, get over the fact that you'll go to a class or meet a teacher that's gonna all of a sudden make you amazing. Start practicing, like reading and doing voices like a psychopath in your own room yeah. and get used to being a boob yeah. and maybe your roommate hearing you or something like that. And then when that's ready, then you're ready to go and audition. Yeah, you know? because if you can conquer that sort of you know, embarrassment or whatever, yeah. then when you're getting in a room and there's a bunch of people behind the glass that are, you know, all on their phones or whatever. Not you, giving a shit, Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, they're hammering away on an email and you're giving the performance of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They couldn't give a shit. And you're like, I'm bombing it. You're dying in a trench over here. Yeah. Yeah, they're like trying to figure out how to- Are you not crying? The, are you yeah. not crying at this performance? Are you not are, entertained? Are you heartless? <laughs> yeah. Having grown up playing video games and then watching animated stuff and getting into voiceover and all of that, at, at what point did that take over and you go, okay, I think this is actually where the career trajectory is going. Right. I'm gonna take the leap of faith and quit these other jobs that I'm doing because I wanna just focus on this 100%. When did that point come to you? Man, I, I, you know, I don't even remember the year that it was, but it was entirely based off of finances. Yeah. Because, right? I mean, L.A., half of it is just surviving, mm -hmm. right? Just paying for rent, making sure you have enough for some fucking ramen noodles, and, you know, hopefully your, t your utilities don't shut off. Um, enough gas to get to the audition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had roommates as long uh, as I could just to try and keep rent down, and then I remember I had an apartment in, like, Koreatown that was... Whoa, it was some shady biz. Yeah. I, had, I had one of the like tiny 400 square foot apartments that had the kit, like the, the security door on the door of the apartment oh, inside wow. the building. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't care. I was like, whoo, yeah. secure. Right. Um, and once there were enough jobs to quit being, you know, a valet and a bouncer and, and doing all that other stuff because, you know, staying up late at night doesn't make you very bushy tailed in the morning. Um, you know, then I really started trying to push that more and it was like any sort of job experience, like work begets work. So even if it seemed like the most insignificant job, you know, it led to something else and a connection mm -hmm. that somebody else heard, mm -hmm. and then that led to something else. And so that momentum um, helped a lot. And it was a real easy conversation just to say like, I, you know, I might have to drive for 45 minutes to get to this audition that I won't book for this TV commercial and drive and maybe get a parking ticket yeah. <laughs> you know, in LA. A $350 then, parking yeah, ticket. and then drive all the way back. Yeah. Or I can audition from my closet mm -hmm. and send out 10 voiceover auditions, you know? Yeah. So that was like, clearly this is much easier to do. And if it pans out, it pans out. And it did, you know? Yeah. So I just kind of followed I guess where the where the road was going. You know? 
At what point did Laura Bailey stop <laughs> seeing your name come up on the caller ID, and instead of throwing her phone across the room, yep. she she started, you know, smiling and getting excited that it was you on the phone? How did that? Because you God. guys, you guys knew each other when yeah. you were younger. We did. We actually dated. Yeah. Um, in like in the college years, we were in an independent movie. <laughs> Uh, while we were both in college, and uh, like young actors do, had a little had a little fling, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely went to like BJ's Brewery restaurant, wherever it is, yeah. get like a bucket of Coronas, and then went and watched Freddy versus Jason, and it was just like you That's know, a good date. romance, yeah. just straight romance. I like that. But being you know a young college idiot, I was an asshole, and you know like eventually one day I was like, I don't want to get locked down. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna call her back. Yeah. And she didn't take that very well. Well, I would hope not. I know. Yeah, she was <laughs> yeah. like, she was like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> there was a number of years where she was just like, we we didn't talk. And I I had moved out to L.A. and we both had like these separate uh, serious relationships. She had one, mm-hmm. I had one that lasted for a few years, and they both, um, as the universe would have it, kind of ended around the same time, and put us sort of in the same uh, general area. And I. Because she ended up moving out here. Well, I uh, profusely apologized for being a jerk because as we were in that same space, the ice queen was hitting me with some daggers, right? Yeah, Just like I was feeling the chill. (laughs) And so I was like, all right, I'm sorry. I was a jerk. Yeah. Please forgive me. I'm a better person now. She was like, okay. And she was like, I'm thinking of moving to to Los Angeles. And I was like, well, hey, that could be really hard. I could, you know, help you find an apartment and introduce you to some people and just try and return. I also have a very secure apartment in Koreatown <laughs> if you needed to stay over. There's a door yeah. outside my door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are mul- multiple doors. And in no way will your life be in jeopardy going from your car to the uh-huh. apartment building. Uh-huh. Oh. And during that trip where I was trying to help her find uh, a place to stay, um, you know, uh, some sake bombs may have mm. happened. Some, mm. some, I may have snorted some unfiltered sake in no. an attempt to oppress her at a, at a beachfront Snorted bar. unfiltered sake yeah. to impress a Listen, girl? Listen, you know, Tom like Cruise it. sang You've Lost That Love and Feeling, uh-huh. right? Classic. Uh-huh. I mm. snorted unfiltered sake mm-hmm. into my nose through a straw, kept a straight face, and told her that it was refreshing. Wow. Did it so well, she bought that shit and did it herself. Right after right you then, did? Right then. What was I kept, your reaction? Like, it was pure murder. Like <laughs> pain, screaming, the waitress going, you guys need to keep it down. Yep. And that led to our, our romance. You've done some on-camera stuff, The Guardian, the legendary Nick right. Tuck episode, which is still Big my, my wallpaper when you call me. <laughs> and then really uh, Second Ad Lions is another one. That's right, yeah. A lot of people don't know you did mocap for the Frost Giants in the Thor movie. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Did you hurt yourself on that? I did. I was so excited um, to be cast to do mocap on the th- in the Thor movie. Yeah. I was like, does this make me a part of the MCU? And he was like, sure. He's like, just sign the goddamn yeah. paper. It's, you know, dude. your face isn't <laughs> yeah, going to be there. be here for two hours. Who gives a shit? So during the first day, there was a sequence where the Frost Giants were supposed to run off this shelf, and it's like four feet off the ground. You know, run off this shelf, jump. And then as you're coming down through the air, you know, punch the ground and a bunch of like ice shards are gonna spread out, you know? And I was so <laughs> amped up that I went and ran and jumped off the platform and threw my fist into the ground as hard as I could. And it's just concrete with a layer of carpet over it and just sh- sh- like shattered this Ooh. knuckle. And like my, my, my whole hand turned purple, but I did it and I came up and I was like, 
I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like, you okay? It was really loud. And I was like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I'm ready to go again. <laughs> you want to do this one more time? <laughs> and on the second one, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just <laughs> open Or <laughs> trying to throw a ball with your left hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the dinosaur fear of the T-Rex. <laughs> just <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah. yeah. But you were so stoked to be there. It was so like, stoked. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through. I believe that Kenneth, sir, Kenneth Branagh, mm-hmm. director of Thor, yes. personally selected me to I play so his multitudes of frost giants. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know if that happened, but in my mind, yeah. it did. You could tell pretty much anybody that and they'll believe you. Yep. Because they'll say, I never saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> or I don't know who the fuck Kenneth Branagh is. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to see in the last 10 years how interactive entertainment has changed and it's become its own sort of art form with storytelling that has really changed, I think changed the game in a lot of ways. How has it been going from back in the, I'm a fan of this Dragon Ball Z thing, to looking at the way immersive storytelling is now in in interactive media? I mean, it's it's been so incredible because I you know I was one of the people that saw you know Tomb Raider right the original Tomb Raider with the blocky head and everything yeah. and the camera would move around and I was like man they just it won't get any cooler than this right or even earlier than that what was the was it Pilot Wings on Super NES it, I forget like hmm. it was the first time that it would turn 360 degrees but with facial mocap the way that it is and the narrative storytelling now of you know, The Last of Us, Red Dead Redemption, things yeah. like that where it really drops you into a story. Angry it's, Birds. Angry Birds. <laughs> it's, just, it's just changed it so much and it's made it, um, it's made it so much more special mm. for us because it's one thing if you go into like a video game session and you know that you're gonna, you know, adopt some sort of a voice or speak up here and be real cartoony and whatever and you're gonna yell, RPG, grenade, get back, they have our flag, but yeah. we're losing this fight. Yeah. We are losing. <laughs> we're losing, losing this, this fight. fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's been said in our headphones a yep. million times. Yep. Um, that Those sessions are, are great, but it, it was really different to see the level of storytelling and the level of emotion that was portrayed in those games. Mm. You know, what Troy and what Ashley did was not only impressive, but it just set a whole new bar, right? Yeah. You were like, man, we can do so much in these games. There, there aren't a ton of games and developers that tell those stories, and so it made it all that more, you know, precious. You yeah. know, I, I always hope that one day I'll be able to work on a Naughty Dog game. But I was so thrilled to see Laura be able to like dig in and yeah. show her chops in Uncharted. Uncharted, you know, Lost so, Legacy. Yeah, yeah, so impressive. Um, and it, it's to me, it's just changed everything. You know, I know that there's a you know, all the attention's on the multiplayer games, mm-hmm. you know, eSports yeah. and Fortnite and Overwatch and all that stuff. But man, I, I want to get lost in the game, right? There's a lot of conversation about that right now, about is yeah. this, I remember at E3 this year, there was a lot of people talking about, is this the death of the single player? And I, I, I wonder. I remember talking to you yeah. about it and going, no, 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 Don't no. do it. Because we do love, I mean, you and I have lost years to Call of Duty, oh, yeah. and, you know, Halo and different Endlessly. first-person shooters, yep. but then GTA. the ones that we end up sitting and talking about for hours are the stories, yeah. the story-based games. Just just the brutal ones, right? Like, I mean, there are ones that you can get in and spend a couple hours to relieve some stress, and that's that's great, right? Yeah. Or even the competitive nature and try and be as, as good tactically and performance-wise as you can, but man, to like, to be fucked up over some 
opening cinematics mm. because a character lost their daughter mm. before the game ever starts, and to have you go like, "What? What just happened?" Yeah, that is. Yeah. That that to me was everything. An emotional know? reaction after 14 hours of playing something makes sense. Yeah. To be able to hook you in and to affect you in that way right away, mm -hmm. it was like the wow, this is a different type of storytelling. Yeah, you hear people talk about those video games that where they talk about the really almost era-changing movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like Godfathers mm -hmm. and things like that. People that were like, I had never seen or heard or felt emotion like I saw in that movie. And Uncharted, Lost, Last of Us, those those moments, right, are the, sometimes the first times that people have been like, I felt like I was responsible for that. Or for that I, life. I felt in myself, yeah. like, uh, grief or regret mm. because I had my hands on the controller. I wasn't passive third person watching the film you know, and I could still be emotional and be like, yeah, that happened on screen. Like, I was responsible or there for that moment. Yeah. And that's, where, where else can you make that happen? No, know? yeah. Well, you can make it happen in D&D, &D, but... That's true. Yeah. You get a call or an email or a text that says, come to this D&D &D game for, <laughs> uh, ultimately, as like a birthday present for Liam O'Brien, yeah. who we had all known for a long time before this home game had happened. Yep. Were you reluctant at first? Were you like, I'm not gonna get this? Or were you no. gung-ho, I, I, no. I wanna try this out, I wanna dive in. So I knew it was coming, and uh, again, that early vampire book that I saw with Taliesin, right? So I always kinda, I would go into the comic book store, and if I wasn't trying to sneak back past the 18 plus curtain to go look at like heavy metal and other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would always see like the, the, the player's handbooks of D&D and stuff like that. I was like, I don't get it. And I would ask and he's like, oh, it's got Dungeons and Dragons and Dwarves and Elves and all this stuff. But I didn't know anything about it. And then being around Yuri Lowenthal mm -hmm. and Matt Mercer and other people and hearing, you know, Zach Hanks and, and um, just other folks that had played, I was like, so you, you, you play like now? And he's like, yeah. I said, what do you do? He's like, we show up for a few hours, we have some food, we have some drinks, and we roll some dice, and we play D&D. &D. And I was like, could I, could I come, like, watch? Yeah. He's like, oh, you don't want to watch it. Nobody watches D&D. &D. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you want to come play? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't. Intimidating I, at Yeah, first, I was yeah. like, I don't want to show up at the park and act like a vampire. He's like, it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, that's a separate <laughs> thing that exists. It's not right, that. Right. He was like, but we should do it. And I was like, oh, okay, brush off. So I did that with Matt a couple of times, I did that with Yuri a few times, and then I did that with Liam once or twice. And Laura had said she was interested, I had said he was interested, or she was interested. And Liam's like, let's do it. Yeah. It's off for my birthday, we want to do it. I was like, okay, we're doing it, yeah. right? And just the intro questions from Matt alone were almost enough to make me go like, oh, I'm, I'm sick, I can't do it. Yeah, he was it like, seems what, like a lot of first. What, yeah. what race, what class, what, and I was like, ah. What's a what's a big race? And he's like orcs. And I was like, uh, what else? And he's like, well, there's a half giant race called Goliaths. And I was like, oh, I'll take that. Yeah. And he's like, well, what what uh, what class do you want to be? And I was like, uh, what what hits things with axes? <laughs> he's like, there are fighters, there are you know rogues, there's barbarians. I was like, yeah, let's do barbarian. Yeah. I, want, I don't want to know. I'm not going to know much. So I want to be responsible for as little as possible. Yeah. And so that's how that 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 started. But I you never would have thought. Right, you, you thought maybe you would get some good laughs out of it. Right. And that would be it. One time, one and done, no big deal. Yeah, but it's turned into something eh. else entirely. Yeah, just, just a bit. I think about you guys and I think about how everyone, for the most part, has grown up gaming and has done voice work and acting and all these different things and how 
D&D is one of those rare things that sort of touches on all of those different, not only skill sets, but interests that you guys have. Yeah. So it's more fulfilling in some ways than just doing a video game or something else because you're sort of touching on a lot of different artistic expressions at the same time, right? Yeah, it's weird the stuff that kind of like bleeds through. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if even if you look at our first campaign, like Liam and Vax was this like tragic character and Liam is so, you know, he has that theater background and has so much emotion that he's willing to share it any second. Mm -hmm. Sam. Always accessible. Always accessible. Sam is, you know, musically gifted and that just came out with that energy. I'm an idiot and I had that, you know, <laughs> I had that like size and that athletic perspective and kind of the naivete towards things that I had when I was a kid and how, you know, I, I would approach things. And just, I mean, Taliesin to me, uh, the first time that we played, Taliesin and Laura were the ones where I was like, Oh my God, because Taliesin just dropped in. Yeah. Right? He w was just playing this other character. Yeah. And Laura, the very first time we played at, at Liam's house, I thought we were going to get there and like talk about our characters, and she was just this British woman. Wow. She was already talking like this and speaking and, and giving facial expressions and flirting, and I was like, what the fuck is <laughs> yeah, happening? Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God. We're in the deep end already. Yeah. And yeah. you know, being actors, you're like, well, I got to fucking jump in too, so yeah. everybody else starts doing accents and shit like that, except for Sam. And right. She was like, I'm not doing an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, but throughout that campaign, like the way that you would look at solving a problem mm. or approaching a fight, um, you know, especially for me, just playing sports, like different uh, formations or plays or strategies that other people might not have been thinking of, or you know, even the, the small amount, the small amount of military stuff that I know just from my brother or my uncle being yeah. in the military, you know, that terminology would come into play when we were addressing things. And even though my knowledge of that stuff is so tiny, it felt to me so valued mm. in that moment and it made it all that more special because I was like, I don't know anything about tactics. I wouldn't ever be able to like lead or advise or do any of those things. But in that moment, like it was worth something. Yeah. And that was so strange to me, right? And when it came to charming somebody or talking our way out of something, Sam was there with his fucking finger mustache and you know his immigration badge. He was just like, what? Like what? Customs, customs, customs officer. Badge. Yeah, customs yeah, yeah. badge. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just crazy to see how everybody adapted to these new things. I mean, I I know Laura. I'm married to her. Mm -hmm. She was this like wink, haggle, sexy, flirtatious, deadly woman, you know. And I'd have to look at her and be like, you're still here, right? I, Hey, we're good. Where's yeah. the woman? Hello. Holy, holy <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So it was. I mean, it was just. It was just a magical like peek through the curtain, and we said like goodbye to each other at you know three in the morning, and we're like, man, that was fun. And then Liam sent like a text the next day, and he was like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel kind of snake bit. We got to do that again. And all of us were like, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, nobody yeah. replied. <laughs> just left him hanging. Wow. Thinking about what would have happened if you guys hadn't gotten together for another game. Right. We'd all be working at Walmart. That's right. That's right. Or I guess I would still be. I'd be the at greeter in the front, though. Yeah. Hi, welcome to Walmart. Yeah, nobody would. Be, all smiles. Nobody would be intimidated by that. No. Yeah, because your vest would be too small. Hi, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> the, the little, the little. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. I wonder then, leaving that first game, thinking about from there to. You guys play once a month or every six weeks or however, you know, with everyone's schedules you could get together. Mm -hmm. When the idea came about to start putting cameras on the game and making it a weekly thing, what was your initial reaction to that? 
Fuck no. Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> Straight up no. I didn't want to be known as somebody that played D&D. Why? Legit. Like, yeah. I, I remember having this conversation in our house, Laura and I, she was sitting on the steps, and I was like, I don't want people knowing that I play D&D or that I like it. And she was like, why? I was like, I don't know. I just, I know, <laughs> I'm not prepared for that. Was it too too deep a level of nerd for I, you, or maybe, as far as the perception? Yes, or, yes. Okay. Like to me, I was like, I kept thinking back to that vampire book, right? Mm. Or, or maybe it would people would think less of me, or think this, or think that. And mo it was mostly from just naivete or ignorance, right? Yeah. I didn't know anything about the game. I didn't know anything about the people that played it. I had never seen anybody else play it. I didn't know what kind of people were interested in it or inspired mm. by it or what effect it had in any way. In my mind, it was just like something that people did in the basement, the same thing that I had been told during like the satanic panic in the 80s, right? right? right. That was it. Yeah, because you grew up with the same sure. satanic panic that I did right. at D&D. &D. Yeah. And I, you know, again, kind of maybe going back to like a self-confidence thing, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I had been someone that never wanted to do something that would keep me from being able to do something else in my career, right? So. I was always worried that doing something now might keep me from this or mm. that. I don't have a TV or film career. I have a great VO career. What does it matter? Yeah. Like I'm playing with my friends, right? Yeah. And, and after a little bit of just, just talking about it, <laughs> the reason that I eventually was like, sure, let's do it, was we 100% said, nobody's gonna watch this. Everyone thought it would fail. It was like, yeah. we'll do it for four weeks and then okay, four weeks. we did a thing. We'll do it for four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. we'll yeah. never, they'll be like, thanks, that was awesome. 12 people loved it. Right, right. You know, we yeah. got to do some other stuff. And the the true sweat, the like cold sweat was when like, you know, a few thousand people watched the first time. We were yeah. like, what? Uh, yeah. What are we, we do? Everyone's eating chips loudly into the microphones. You're on the set of a child's bedroom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I still like pick food out of my teeth, but I was definitely doing it in that first episode. You know, Laura's like, you are on camera. I was you like, I can't, I can't. Yeah. I still just like, <laughs> just yeah. dig in, you know? Like, <sighs> yeah. But I, that, that, that moment was one of those things where, you know, so I always like to say that my wife, Laura, is like one of the best people that I know. Mm -hmm. She's taught me just so much about Thinking about other people, her empathy, I've always tried to like learn um, from. And in that thing, she was like, why, why do you care? Why do you care what people know that you, if you play? Right? Yeah. She was like, you like musicals? And I was like, yeah, but, and she's like, but what? Musicals are so random. You go yeah. into a Buffalo Wild Wings and you start singing show tunes, people are gonna <laughs> kick you the fuck out of there, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, but man, D&D. &D. And she was like, who cares? She's yeah. like, who knows who else might like it if, if they see somebody like you enjoying it? And I was like, Okay. And we've seen that happen since then. Man. We've seen a lot of people who look like you say, oh man, it's cool to be able to relate uh, to someone that's the, on a show like this. The, the power lifters, Olympic lifters, the, the veterans, the guys that play sports, the lacrosse nerds, video games guys going like, you know, man, I played a couple times when I was in middle school or high school and haven't touched it since. And now I found like people where I'm not, I'm not afraid to like go into the comic book shop and even though I may not look like every other dude at that table, I plop down and have an amazing time for three hours, and then I tell them I'll see him again next week. Yeah. That is, like, I don't know where else in There's my life There's really no other feeling like it, Yeah, right? yeah. What are the important pillars for you in, in creating a character? Not just for D&D, &D, but when you're taking something that's already been written for you to just perform, what's your thought process like when you're trying to up with someone man 
That's a good question. Give me a little. Oh yeah, yeah you got good. it, dude. Um, Once I get drunk, they start getting. That's real it. Good. Sort of starts pouring. Yeah, off. I get all the surface. Well, it's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I know everybody. Everybody's answer is different, but f- for me, coming from um, you know a background of not playing it very much, pick something or choose something that's going to be slightly comfortable mm. in the beginning. Um, I didn't know shit about D&D. When I looked at the magic classes for that first campaign, I couldn't think of anything more terrifying yeah. than all those spells. Yeah. So give me an axe, make me big, let me be dumb, so that when I make a mistake, it's not as obvious, and I'll just hit shit. And I'll be. they're like, we need a tank that goes in and takes the damage. You're going to get hit a lot. And I was like, fine, great, yeah. cool. I'm not precious with that character, and that was a very simple, rigid skeleton. As we played, and you start seeing what the other characters are and how they relate to you, then you start like slapping more clay. And even, I mean, I don't think anybody was more surprised than I was at the sort of like characteristics that he would start to show, like loyalty and protective you know, qualities yeah. and really having the sense of honor even though he's a complete moron. Um, and that was really, I, I loved him so much because it was so freeing just to turn off all those filters that you've accumulated over 30 plus years and just be like this raw, exposed nerve that you know can affect and be affected by so many things. Yeah. After that campaign was over with, I was like, hey, I gotta have magic because mm. I'm gonna have magic. Yeah. And two, he's, gonna, he's going to try to speak more eloquently to people that I don't know if I think it's both of us. Like, a, I, I am not terribly. Uh, I'm not very. Oh my God! <laughs> right as I start trying to answer, I'm saying I'm not very good at like talking to people about that. I'm not very good I'm at not saying good stuff. Bigly, uh, <laughs> base licky. <laughs> like I think, and even in his story, Ford, is, he's not natural. Uh, he's not the person um, previous to the adventuring party that would like talk to everybody. Mm. He's just trying it out for the first time, mm. which is a lot of what this character was. And I said the last one was so far from. I guess me, like, let's incorporate some parts of myself that maybe make it feel a little more, like, dangerous. Yeah. Like a little maybe closer to home. Yeah. So that if, you know, the reaction is poor, it might hurt a little bit more, mm. right? I saw a lot of things in, like, Liam's character's cho- choices and Taliesin's and, and Laura's where there was so much emotion and Grog never cried, right? And I was proud of that afterwards. And then I was like, you know... I might be, I might be being a little bit of a bitch about this. Like, I might be, maybe I'm playing it too safe. Like, half yeah. of the game could really be exploring like the risk and the emotions of that. So, I put in a little bit more stuff that that has to do with me, and it's going to lean into things that do require more of a of a risk. And I don't know how it's going to go, but but you're willing to take that chance. Yeah, like make them. Make, make it comfortable in the beginning so that when the opportunity to roll the dice comes around, I can go for it. Yeah. Like the only thing that I don't like in sports and in D&D is when people fucking play it safe. Yeah. It's so boring, right? Yeah. Boring to be a part of, boring to watch. Yeah. Especially in a game where, let's, let's be honest, if a character dies, it's going to, it's going to fuck some things up for as, you and for other people. Seen, yeah. As we've seen. Yeah. But it is a, it is a game. Right, and if the opposite side of that coin is something that you will never forget, isn't it worth it that is. chance? Yeah. Right, because in life it's so hard. Life is precious, right? And and you, it, there are a different set of rules and standards. I think it's easy to forget that. Um, I remember in the Kevdak fight, mm. Grog had four hit points, and I was going to be toast, and Laura was like carrying me away, and I was like, no, I can't run from this fight. I leaned over and I was like, just drop me out of the necklace. 
drop me out of the necklace, I'm gonna roll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and hit him, if I miss, I'm dead. Fine, at least I tried. Yeah. And it was a natural 20, and he fucking died, and it was the coolest moment for me of yeah. that entire campaign. campaign. Yeah, and if you play it safe, you get out of there and you live. Cool. But to you, that risk, and the the possible reward yeah. of it being the coolest thing that had happened. Yeah. For you at that moment, it would have been up to that point. Yep. But that was enough for you to say like, I got four hit points, fuck it. Totally, which is why I love And loved... it seemed closer to what the character would have. That's right. What he would have done. And that's why I love Towson's play as Molly because he was doing those blood maledicts and he was taking those chances and it was all going wrong. Mm. And, having, and having it back, I'm sure he would do it differently, but he just charged into it. Right, and that's a choice. Yeah. And Jesus, did it not have like the craziest effect on us and the audience and everything the whole else? Community, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could have run, and that would have been the safe thing. But I mean, it's it's called an adventuring party for a reason. Yeah. You know. What kind of stories inspire you? I love you you're, you're somebody that every year we all watch Lord of the Rings yeah. every year because yeah. we just need that the purity of that good versus evil journey, yeah. you know, and, and plus it's just so good. I like, so, okay, so movies and music to me fall in two categories. <laughs> and this will make Laura and, and Troy crazy. I, I'm terrible with bands and song names. I mean, literally, you could play Leonard Skinner, ACDC, Van Halen, Led mm -hmm. Zeppelin, and there's a fair chance I couldn't tell you what the band is. All the sound time. the same to you. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I just don't have it, right? But yeah. I could tell you any player on the NFL their first, last, their first and last name, where they went to college, <laughs> what round they were drafted in. I don't understand it. It doesn't make All any sense to me. All their previous injuries. Yep, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for movies and music, they satisfy, if, you, if you've seen them or, or heard them, for me, different like emotional feelings, like, um, like a cocktail. Yeah. Right? So if I'm feeling like melancholy or I just want to kind of think about some stuff, there are movies or music that I will listen to. If I'm wanting to get ramped up for a workout or get pumped up. Vanessa Carlton. A hundred percent of the time. <laughs> oh, that's it! <laughs> when You're I hear that piano rip, I can make Take it. it away. <laughs> Hold that down. Oh my God. Just maxing it out. Yep. Um, but I, you know, when I met Laura, I was like listening to Linkin Park mm. and Tool and, you know, my Primus days and Metallica and all this stuff. And she was like, God, that's so aggressive. Is that like you? And I was like, I don't know if it's me, but there are just parts of me, you know, like I was I was very um, angry, mad and confused after my dad passed and yeah. figuring out high school and going into college like that sound nurtured and echoed what I was feeling. And mm. so I listened to it, you know, and I, I felt very at home listening to those things. I'm also a guy that loves fucking show tunes. True. Right? Like true. half the time when I'm driving to a session, I'm listening to Hamilton. You've got the or, whole soundtrack memorized. Yep. Once or anything. And I, yeah, I know it all. And I'm singing it as loud as I can. I'll look over and some guy's like looking in the car going like, you okay? And I'm Is like, he hey, oh, yeah. Agent? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, but for me, like stories, they fulfill like a, a thing. So I love sports movies, right? Mm -hmm. Because I want to mm -hmm. feel those goosebumps. I love fantasy storytelling because I want to... I want to believe that those places exist. Harry Potter, to me, is a mix between like wonder at the magic and the storytelling and the, the, that was crafted, but it's also like this chicken soup. Mm. Because when you hear all those you know, British accents 
young and old, especially like Richard Harris into the, yeah. you know, like yeah. just hearing that old sound, yeah. you know? I remember like just wanting to fall into the TV and thinking it was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. Plus as a voiceover person, you know, the Irish and Scottish mm. and that's dappled in there. Those are things that I love to just lose myself in and yeah. I'll watch them hundreds of times you know laura's like oh my god harry potter's on again you're not even watching it i was like i know but it's it's in the background i need it on because it's comfort food yeah yeah Yeah. like that like the hobbit i'll I'll watch um the uh uh, the traveling troop of you know oak and shield as they're coming together in his in his home just that part because of the food and smoking the pipes and and, oh my god doing all this stuff yeah it just feels I don't know, it just feels good and it, and it reminds me sort of of our game and what I picture while we're playing. So yeah. different movies have like different things for me. Blade Runner, 20, yeah. 2049, 2049 20, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. I've been watching that one more and more just because it's, the way it's shot is so wide and vast and so beautiful and the sound, just those like boom, you know, like it, uh. You're a dad now. How does it oh feel? Oh my God. Uh, it feels amazing and terrifying. I, I tell Laura all the time that I, th- I feel like people quite often give like the PC response to having kids and to going like, my life is rich and, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's such a miracle and mm-hmm. there's so much love. I'm like, where's all the talk about the panic and yeah. the fucking stress and never sleeping again, right? And just feeling keep like- this person alive. You, like you're a totally different person and you'll never be able to take your eyes off or leave the room mm-hmm. ever again, right? Mm-hmm. That's also just culture shock, you know, cause just in the difference between 2.34 PM and 2.36 PM, your life is forever different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We've, we've adjusted now that he's nine weeks old. Um, and he's and he's amazing, and we've figured out a rhythm. Like mm-hmm. anything that's new, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like learning. And it, it's like being dropped in a country where you don't speak the language. Yeah, you're just in sheer panic mode. Yeah, and then you start to pick it up. Yeah, so now it's good, and and also we're rewarded by the fact that he he smiles, which holy yes. shit, game changer. Yeah, those yeah. first those first couple of weeks, I was just like, there was somebody gave us a book, and the title of the book was What Did We Do. <laughs> And I was so grateful for it because I'm like, okay, it's okay to feel. Yes. Like, like I made a mistake. You're not alone out there. You're like, oh god, what happened? And yeah. and when he when you figure it out and when he starts smiling and the, the like first thing in the morning he wakes up and he's like, and he smiles and you're like, oh my god. Makes it all worth it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. What excites you about being a dad? Thinking about the future. That. Yeah. That. Laura asked a crazy question. She was like, when you thought about having a son, did you think about? having a baby or like a small like young boy wow yeah and i was like oh shit a boy like mm. a like a little kid yeah she was like that you could like throw a ball to and like teach to ride a bike and i was like yeah i didn't really think about like the little screaming crying thing right that needs you know all the love and nurture right um and i don't think that means anything but i think it just shows that that's like what i'm looking forward to the most and i i, I know that that's in a large part just because my my dad was such you know, he was the he was the sun mm. in my solar system, right? He mm. was he was everything. He was Superman to me. He was like my protector. Um, you know, I I learned what the world was when he was gone, uh, versus what it was like when he was there, right? There was I didn't have a care in the world. Yeah. And I think I'm looking forward to being that for someone, and also living up to um, what that idea was. You know, before me, I I know that it's a unique thing to have like a very strong and, and good father figure and I'm so thankful that I did. Yeah. Um, but 
that's the thing that I'm excited about the yeah. most, you know, is, is being able to make sure that that kid has like everything that he needs and no matter how scared he gets or how panicky he is or if he's unsure that like dad's going to be there, yeah. you know, and that he will fucking knock the world on its ass mm -hmm. to make sure that he's good. That he knows without a doubt you will love him unconditionally unless he becomes an Eagles fan. <laughs> Barred from the family. Change, change the locks. Gone. You're out. There's no paperwork on this kid yeah. anymore. There it's are all actually, been we got relatives that are Eagles fans up in Philly. You can start walking your ass. <laughs> right now. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. This was great. Dude, we got down to like Cheers. the bottom of the thing. Let's finish this. I didn't even. And then, uh, I didn't even eat the cherry first. That's it's, how, like, on my best behavior, I'm just gonna well, get it. Well, it's 7.30 in the morning right now. <laughs> Shh, they can't see my watch. Thanks again for listening. My thanks to Travis for a great conversation. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating or review if you'd like. Until next time, don't forget to love each other. <laughs>